Sergey Young is a longevity investor and visionary with a mission to extend healthy lifespans of at least 1 billion people. That's pretty ambitious. Now to do that, Sergey founded the Longevity Vision Fund to accelerate life extension technological breakthroughs and to make longevity affordable and accessible to all. He's on the board of directors of the American Federation of Aging Research and the development sponsor of Age Reversal XPRIZE global competition designed, in his words, to cure aging. And he's here today to chat about his new book titled The Science and Technology of Growing Young, an insider's guide to the breakthroughs that will dramatically extend our lifespan and what you can do right now. Sergey, Welcome. Hi, Jason. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to be here with you today. Well, we're thrilled to have you. And like every great entrepreneurial story, including yours, it, it all begins with a story. And so let's talk about your story and what led to your passion for longevity and ultimately your longevity vision fund and your book, The Science and Technology of Growing Young. So what started this all for you? Yeah, well, unfortunate reality for so many of us that we need to have a wake-up call to start thinking about our health and to actually to start thinking about taking back control and responsibility for our own health. So I had two wake-up calls. One was the lung cancer of my father back in 2005. He survived, but the man literally shrunk by one-third and his quality of life has never recovered. And then it was not enough. Then a few years later, I had my blood test and a doctor told me I have extremely high level of cholesterol, which is not unique for today's world. And then I've been offered to take appeal statins every day till the end of my life. And I was really shocked. I, I think I was at the age of 43. I'm 49 today. And... <clears throat> to take something like a medication every day. It felt so unnatural to me. So I started to dig in into the subject. What I can do instead of just going in kind of big farm away, which I probably need to do in some really severe cases, but with high cholesterol is anything I can change lifestyle wise to achieve exactly the same result. And this is where this whole journey started. I'll be really happy to share today what I'm doing today and done in the past to fix that. But it, this was the start of the story. And then I, I get so excited about uh, so many things that we can do today with our lifestyle to improve our health, the level of energy and happiness. And I thought the best way to support the space is to create a small fund. So I raised uh, $100 million. It's relatively small in financial industry terms. Of course, it's a lot for longevity and healthy lifestyle changes, but it's been an amazing three years journey with the fund. We're looking at 200 companies a year. We're speaking at 50 plus academics. I'm going to the labs. So it's been an amazing door opener and a way to discover the science and technology of us being healthy and happy. So I have to ask, you mentioned high cholesterol. I'm curious, how high was it and what did you do to lower it? Yes, it was 30% above the like a maximum allowed level. So like 300, 400, like yeah, how high was yeah, high? Less than that. So then what I've done, I basically, I changed the diet completely because I was more like a red meat guy and I switched 
to more plant-based and I'm still heavily plant-based. I actually, I think it's been a blessing to all of us to enjoy this type of diet. Then I took quite a bit of supplements. I'm a big fan of supplements simply because of placebo effect. I'm typical placebo man. I believe it works, so it works for me. And so, and, and especially omega-3, like a high quality version of that and a high dose. And it was a lot of exercises and it still is. So I've done a lot of swimming at this time and it was minus 25% in uh, less than six months. So when I met my doctor, he was looking at me and said, Sergey, what have you done? And uh, to my surprise, it was all changes in my lifestyle. And I rediscovered that one of our limiting beliefs that is we forgot about the fact that our body has this amazing capability to heal ourselves. If we treat it properly, we can do a lot to recover health-wise. So in the book, you talk about your personal goal of living to 200, yeah, uh, which blows away Dave Asprey, I think, at 180. And you say that there's a, a new horizon of 150 that, that's possible. And so before we talk about some of the technological advancements that that you believe can advance health span in this way, because it's not just about lifespan, it's health span. No one wants to live to 200 and have a terrible quality of life for their you know last hundred years. You talk a lot about lifestyle. And so, and you also so eloquently summarize the pillars of aging, if you will, the hallmarks of aging. So can we start there and talk about that you have these nine hallmarks of aging and you recently added a a 10th hallmark. Can you just briefly walk us through those hallmarks of aging to kind of set the stage of how you view aging and, and what can be done to, to get yeah. ahead of it? For many decades, we've been in the search of fundamental theory of aging. And scientists has been trying to find the answer to that. To our surprise, human body and mind is such a complex thing. We haven't found still the answer to the questions why we age. And uh, well, it was actually a surprising realization because what we've done, we, we were working on like 40 pages, almost two chapters for the book to cover fundamental theory or different theories of aging. And unfortunately, we haven't found the evidence that one is particularly right or deserved a super focus on that. So what we've done, we put it in the annex, it's on the website, and instead, we concentrated on hallmarks of aging. And this it's basically like uh, different hypotheses, different stories, different things with changes in our body, which contributes in a bad way to the aging process. And while I'll not go through all of that, but let's just give some examples to our audience. So first, we obviously, some of the things are genetically predetermined. Okay, so if you have particular, sorry, particular failure in, in DNA, and, and our DNA is huge, it's massive, right? It's super complex. So the statistical probability that something is wrong in your genetic code is uh, almost 100%. It's just a matter of um, your luck, whether it's something is fundamentally wrong or just you know, small deviations from the standard. So one of the things, one of the potential answers why we age is we've been genetically predisposed to start this process or right from the beginning of our life, the certain combination of our genes 
are responsible for aging. Moreover, right now, in the last 10 years, we build a very good understanding of what kind of genes are responsible for aging. So the, in the number of these genes that we know today is somewhere around 3,000 uh, genes in, in our DNA. So if at a certain point of time, and I'm pretty sure it's going to happen in the next five to 10 years, we want to know what we want to know is what kind of genes to influence for us to stop or even reverse aging. We're going to be influencing these genes. So that's kind of one example. The other example is obviously genes is like a predetermined code and they need to express themselves. They, they express themselves through a particular chain of you know, RNA and different proteins inside our cells. And sometimes this mechanism is just not working, right? So even if you have right combination of uh, genes, a combination of this system failure or changes in your environment negatively affects the ability of these genes to express themselves in the right way. And this is actually one of the one of the developments in gene editing and gene theory. While we started with CRISPR, this is like a genetic scissors technology that we invented 15, 20 years ago. What we discovered through last one or two decades, it's much easier to control expressions of genes rather than the composition of your DNA as well. So that's kind of second thing. The third example is, is about your mitochondrial health. So mitochondria inside your cell is responsible for level of energy and the energy supply for your cell to work properly. So, and obviously with the time, it's just accumulation of failures, how your mit, uh, mitochondria works or the composition of your diet negatively affect the amount of energy that mitochondria received and therefore released to our cells to work properly. So that's actually links us to importance of the diet. People think as diet is, is not that important. It is because it's directly influenced you know, all the aging processes in your body and, and the level of energy inside the cell as well. Then what else? Then DNA has these protective caps. They call telomeres. And what we found, it's actually, it's not true for all the species on earth, but in some of the, well, in, at least for us humans, this protective cups with every, every time when cells divide itself, right? They are, they kind of worn out, if I can use this word. And apparently, it's just statistically and science-wise, we find out that the maximum number of divisions that can be done is anywhere between 40 and 60, just an average. So in the end of this, uh, well, number of divisions that is going through the cell's division cycle, telomeres worn out. And, and it's actually one of the biomarkers of aging that which is used today by scientists to look at the these protective caps of called telomeres and see if they worn out or not. So we can influence that as well. What else? Sometimes cells are outdated. They've done their work. And in the young body, where all these systems and processes are working at the perfect level, this absolute, this senescent cells, they taken out with different liquids from your body. Okay. And unfortunately, during old age, it's the mechanism which supports 
the our ability to take out the senescent cells. This almost like uh, cellular trash inside our body is diminishing. And that's actually accumulates quite a lot of problem. And it's, it, I think some of the new stuff which has been added is that sometimes the proteins which exist in our cells, and it's, it's basically important to transfer the information from DNA, RNA to our body. Sometimes these prote- proteins are joined in undesired combination. So they're not working properly. And again, there's so many ideas. The only thing, and sometimes they're quite complicated, but what I like about the hallmarks of aging, it shows us this human body and mind is such a complex thing that it's not going to be one solution to aging. It's not going to be one solution to your healthy lifestyle. You need to work on so many dimensions in terms of changing your lifestyle to improve your health. So let's bring it back to lifestyle. You mentioned mitochondrial health, telomeres. I I remember a conversation on telomeres I had with Janet Wojcicki and Alyssa Apple back in 2015. And I remember Janet, uh, and Janet's an incredibly talented professor, as is Alyssa. They study this. This is their specialty. I remember Janet saying that consumption of diet soda shortened telomere length, or diet soda or soda. I think it was diet. I'm going back to my memory six years ago. So with that said, you know, how far can nutrition or lifestyle, you know, lifestyle, we can start with nutrition, take us and, and how should we be thinking? I know it's hard to generalize. I know we are incredibly complex human beings. Longevity is complex. It's developing rapidly, but generally how should we speak about eating for longevity that that you're confident Mm -hmm. we're kind of gonna work for most people if they want to eat properly to live a long healthy happy vibrant life great great question so fortunately we have uh scientifically so sorry the science has provided the evidence of how much how many things we can do to improve our biological age through the diet interventions. I think there was a study done, well, the paper was published early this year. And in the course of eight weeks, with changes in the diet, supplementation, and sleep is important as well. What they've done, they managed to reverse aging based on biological clocks by three years back. So it's, it was eight weeks interventions. And if you look at your biological clocks and biological clocks for our audience, it's just set of biomarkers which point out how old or young your body is in comparison and sometimes in contradiction to your calendar age. Imagine, Jason, it's been just eight weeks of changes. You sleep well, you eat well. We'll, We're going to discuss what is eating well means for longevity. And, and just you do some basic supplementation like vitamin D, omega-3, some other stuff. And I think it's just amazing results. And it shows how many things that we can do for our body by reversing it. Funny enough, if you look at, and this is for, uh, for the female part of our audience. And this is another thing which I want to fight with. In majority of cases, is what it was, the study was white men doing the human trial with a white man. <laughs> and, 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 I mean, however, it's terrible. It, it is. However funny it sounds, but 
this is unfortunate reality, how we, we were thinking about human health for decades and even 100 years of our history. It, it was men's health. It was not human's health. And, and it was probably one of the biggest realizations of my work in Longevity Vision Fund. I've met an amazing woman, entrepreneur, and uh, she was working on some of the company which used artificial intelligence in wisdom transfer through generations. And we started to talk about health. What I realized, it was one of the most striking realizations, that women's view on longevity and health is sometimes completely different from men's perspective. And again, women, they're responsible for 80% of health-related decisions for the family. So Plus, they, they live longer. They're already doing a better job than oh, us yeah, men. Yeah, women live better, longer than men. So this is, <laughs> we need to learn from this part of society, right, from our partners, rather than trying to kind of recreate this white male version of medicine. It never, nevertheless, I, I think it was a side comment, but it was important side comment. In fact, when I'm thinking about the idea for my second book, I'm actually thinking to uh, write the book about all these gaps through and looking at the longevity and lifespan of health and through different dimensions. And obviously, gender perspective, the difference between men and women, and, and actually finding the reason why men are doing such a bad job in terms of living longer is one of the fascinating topics. Not to talk about health, not to talk about menopause, not to talk about sexual health. I mean, this, this is all like super important. And we pretty ignorant in a male environment, a male-dominated environment about uh, this whole thing. Coming back to your second question. So what is the definition of the diet in longevity terms? And I do think that diet and diet advice became such a contradictory topic. It's like today you eat, you need to you know, eat blueberries. Tomorrow it's actually blueberries to rot your stomach from inside. And then uh, different advice on supplements, etc. So what I found uh, personally that, um, uh, well, first we need to start with how many calories we want to intake. And there's a lot of disagreement in, in the scientific circles about what actually extends our life. But there's only one agreement, that significant caloric restriction, significant decrease of the calories intake that you take would definitely extend your lifespan and health span. Even the most skeptical guys like Aubrey de Grey accept the fact that it's plus two, plus four healthy and happy years that you add to your life if you, if you decrease the amount of calories that you take. Then it's much easier to tell that I'm going to be eating like, what, 20% less than to do it. So in the course of last three years, I was just trying to find life hacks. How can I do it? So life app number one for me was a significant focus on, on plants, more plant-based diet. Because like even if I have half of my table full of vegetables and I eat all of them, I'm still going to be fine because the caloric intensity of vegetables is much lower. So that's one important component of that. Obviously, I'm not that religious about meat and fish. I thought we did discuss my high cholesterol story. I'm trying to decrease... Uh, amount of meat. I probably eat meat every two weeks, just once every two weeks. And I'm always looking at the sources. We, we can discuss the sources of meat and fish later on. It is extremely important in today's industrial food society as well. So then it, it's plant-based. 
Then the second thing is, uh, and obviously, I mean, you just take out all these kind of sugar-driven calories, right? That goes without saying. The second thing for me was uh, discovery of fasting. So I, I do fast from Monday evening to Wednesday morning every week. Wow. So, so you do yeah, how many hours? Yeah. 36 hours? Yeah, it's 36 hours. In fact, actually, today is my fasting day. Okay. So, and statistically, I mean, you take in a way, what, 15% from your calories intake for the week. Again, obviously, if you're not going to eat in a lot in well, right after you, you finish the fasting on Wednesday and you try not to overcompensate for that. But I, I find that I, it's either window fasting, like 16 you know, hours of fasting and eight, eight hours of food intake or more longer term fasting like I do, 36 hours, simply with the water and herbal tea works pretty well for my body. And again, I'm 49, so I need to implement more and more different routines and different tools for me to be healthy and to stay on longevity bridge, to enjoy all these technologies that you know we describe in the book and will be available to us in the next 5, 10, uh, 15 years as well. And so I do believe in the benefits of fasting. And I told my friends and the audience, I always help people to start experimenting with that. And it's, there's, there's no right or wrong way to do it. It just You just need to listen to your body and consult with your doctor to see like what is the best fasting method for you. And I find what I found that it's it just it was very rare cases when people had some medical condition which prevented them from trying fasting. And but your doctor will be able to tell you that. So that's just an, another amazing thing. And so what about in terms of lifestyle, movement, sleep, stress management? mindset you talk a lot about like let's hit those yeah. major lifestyle points because i think it's important to note like lifestyle can get us pretty far and then we can talk about some of the developing therapies yeah. you talk about yeah. stem cell therapy and so on but lifestyle yeah. is a big piece of this so let's stay on lifestyle and, and go through movement sleep stress yeah. mindset what are the, those big ones big meaty ones so to speak we should all focus on Yes, let's do that. And, and again, this is my favorite topic because this is the type of changes that we can do today. We can do tomorrow morning. This is my favorite one. So what I do in my free time, if um, this exists, I do a lot of corporate longevity programs and I consult the largest corporations on earth to implement their corporate longevity or corporate wellness programs. I do it for free. This is my contribution to the world. This is part of my mission to change 1 billion lives. And I use five longevity buckets to tell people about what kind of lifestyle changes that we need to implement to stay on longevity bridge. And by implementing them, we can live what? We can add 10, 20 healthy and happy years to our life. We can easily live to 100, years and this is health span this is not lifespan unless you're extremely unlucky in genetic lottery but then it's like completely separate discussion so five longevity buckets and these five just to summarize these five buckets for the most part anyone can implement and get to a hundred happy healthy years exactly amazing let's do it Let's walk through the five. Okay. So bucket number one is about the importance of your annual health checkups. When I have my 30 seconds on longevity, I actually dedicate this 30 seconds 
only to this subject. So we all have this kind of old mentality when medicine was very reactive, when disease needs to manifest itself at the stage three or stage four cancer for us to detect it and then go to the church and pray, right? That was like the only thing which we can do. Right now, if you do, if you're successful, it's really early diagnostic of cancer, for example, and you discover cancer is stage one, your recovery rates will be somewhere around 93 to 100%. So we shouldn't delay our annual checkups and it should be as comprehensive as possible. And this is not a rocket science. Your healthcare provider will be able to offer you that. It's just combination of full body MRI, some ultrasound research, some kind of blood work, etc. And I'm doing my, and I'm always saying, my wife is not supporting this statement, that the most important date in my life every year is actually the date of my health checkup. So I'm doing this in San Diego, California. Again, you can do it in the hospital next door. You don't need to go to San Diego, California, to Human Longevity Center to implement this. And, and we've seen quite a lot of development on technological and scientific front in terms of our ability to identify early stage cancer, to identify early stage of heart disease, different heart diseases. And same with diabetes. I just, I took off my glucose, continuous glucose monitor from my hand. And, and this is probably 70% of deaths that we experience after age of 50. So that's super important. And early stage cancer, heart disease, diabetes, a lot of that, you don't even need to go to the hospital. That's just like blood work you can do with your practitioner. There are a lot yeah. of, yeah, it's, it's fairly easy. And it's becoming more and more easy. We just invested in a company called Freenom. They actually use your blood work to identify your risk of uh, colon cancer. And like five, 10 years ago to uh, do colon cancer screening, you'll need to go through colonoscopy. It's invasive procedure. I'm longevity enthusiast. I was delaying my colonoscopy for like yeah. two years. I'm on the same, I'm 46. I should probably do one soon. So tell me about, I'm curious what, cause I, I'd rather do this than, of than, course. than so do the colonoscopy. I called, I called in my center up in the spring this year. And uh, my question was, guys, I haven't done colonoscopy for the last two years. Should I do one? And they were like, well, Sergey, these days, you don't need to do it if you do a scan, like high quality, full body MRI scan, like you do, complemented by some other tests, like a stool test called Cologuard. And, and I was like, what was this efficiency of that? What's the specificity of that? It actually works as well as colonoscopy, even better in early stage colon cancer. And imagine in some of the protocols, you'll need to go through this procedure every five years. So imagine if you've been really unlucky and the colon cancer develop itself in the course of these five years. So that's very dangerous. Right now it's stool test and we're working to use actually our blood test to be 94% accurate about your early stage colon cancer. Wow, so, fascinating. Yeah, so healthcare is changing and it's obviously it's the use of artificial intelligence. They use artificial intelligence network, sorry, a neural work to train this AI on the basis of 100,000 samples. Wow. So we'll move on to point number two, but if you ever want a guinea pig, hit me up. I'm, I'm ready and willing. I, I love testing things on myself. Okay, so, okay. So number one is do okay. your test. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's super important. And it's cheaper as well. This is treating someone in preventive ways 10 to 20 times, not percent, cheaper and much more successful recovery way wise than reacting to health emergency. So that's one. Number two, I call don't do stupid things. And it's you know, some people call it passive longevity. When I'm looking at, I just, I, I really cannot understand people who are doing tobacco smoking. Because like tobacco smoking is minus 10 years from your lifespan on average. It's statistically proven. So, and, and right now we have more and more means, even like medication to help people who would like to quit smoking as well. So, and so that's one using the seed belts all the time. It's plus statistically plus two years to your lifespan. Having zero alcohol tolerance policy when you're driving is important as well. In some of the states, in some of the countries, you can actually drink glass or two of red wine and you still gonna be okay for driving. I don't support that. And I do think it's extremely important to be mindful about the choices that you make in life. And I just received an email from a very good friend of mine. She's she's a big fan of mountain hiking. And she, so she's going to the K2 mountain in Pakistan. And mortality for someone who's going to be climbing this mountain is 25%. Wow. This is... Yeah. This, this rate is even higher than Russian roulette, which has a 17% mortality <laughs> statistically. Can you imagine that? Look, she has a special situation. I couldn't really release her personal details, but I'm like, are you sure you want to take this risk? And unfortunately, we're just passing this by, these kind of choices. I mean, not to this extreme. Like I went to the South Pole and North Pole. Yes, I look at the statistics of that and, and mortality was extremely low. But when I had an offer to join the group of friends and climb mountain everest the highest mountain on earth well the mortality rates there was what six uh, percent plus and i'm fa father of four and happy husband so i said no I, I couldn't really do this statistically yeah i'm just not into like double digit mortality rates or even single digit for anything <laughs> yeah i think it's a lot yeah life yeah. is too beautiful for us to shorten that so that's like a second piece the third piece we covered this a little bit already it is about the diet food is our medicine and this is combination of being heavily plant-based sometimes you can be 100 percent plant you know plant-based you just need to work with the balance of your diet in terms of fats and healthy proteins we did cover fasting there plant-based yeah. again what we didn't cover is looking at the sourcing of our food some of the food which is sold in our supermarkets today can have a label called poison and specifically look at industrial meat or in, you look at industrial fish i mean this is all good but what is not good some of the things which should not be there like equally bacteria growth hormones antibiotics like 70 percent of antibiotics in u.s consumed by animals and by fish and say 70 70 70 percent of antibiotics in the u.s are consumed by animals and fish that is insane this is awful. And uh, when I speak to like best minds in longevity and healthcare in, in, in science, my first question was, guys, what's your biggest concern about the, our U.S. nation? And I was expecting this massive amount of sugar yeah. that we take. It's not. 
It's about our resistance and to you know different types of antibiotics. Well, uh, and this is and and the 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 answer isn't the Impossible Burger or the Beyond Burger. Without going down that rabbit hole, this there are implications environmentally. You mentioned antibiotic resistance, huge issue. So sorry, please continue, but it it's important. It is, yeah. And I, what what I like about your statement, Jason, that if we switch to that, we're just not doing good for our body. We're just taking care of the health of our nation and the health of the planet Earth. It's extremely important as well. So then number four is about physical activity. And we have this strange mindset about physical activity. So it's either I need to do like a marathon. I need to do, I need to become like Iron Man or Iron Woman, or I'm just you know sitting at my home doing nothing watching TV. So we humans, we tend to be like black and white. We're really binary. And I do think 10,000 steps a day measured by your favorite wearable is, I like that. Uh, is, I, I motion my, my Fitbit, my Aura, and my Whoop. So. Perfect. So I do the same. I, so I use Aura Ring to measure my sleep. It's just much more convenient rather than sleeping with Apple Watch. You didn't need to be and I focused on Apple Watch. Yeah, I actually have been on the Fitbit for the for two years and I miss my Fitbit time. So I probably I'll switch. And like you take whatever wearable you, you like and 10,000 steps a day. And the beauty of walking that you just need to dedicate a lot of time to that. You can integrate it to your healthy lifestyle. And for our audience, I've seen a lot of studies about actually how many steps a day you can take. So it's not 10,000. It's starting from 7,000. It's almost like a plateau. So you can easily do 7,000. I just tend to communicate 10,000 because we just need to have like a little bit of the moonshot in terms of the steps. So we can, if we do like 7,000, it's going to be great uh, again. And then on top of that, you can add whatever you want. For example, I love yoga. So I add yoga on top of that. Like in addition to stretching, you obviously need to do cardio. I'm actually really lazy with cardio, but you need to do like hour and a half of cardio, hopefully two or three times a week, like 30 minutes or 45 minutes each to train your heart system and your vessel system. Wow. So that's, so, so, so that's a little bit more involved. There's been a lot around high intensity interval training, these short bursts. Yeah. Can you talk about how, where the science is on hit versus, I guess this is, I, I don't know how I would define this. It's a little bit more heavily involved cardio. And like, how do you define that? Like in terms of what's like getting your, your heart rate needs to go to X or Y or like yeah. what's involved. So in my there? case, well, again, I'm 49. In my case, my to, to, for the exercise to be qualified as cardio, it's my heart rate should be anywhere between 150 and 180 beats per minute. So that's going to be my cardio portion. And again, I'm really not so disciplined with that. So this is in my to-do list and I've seen only one recently, I've seen only one study on high intensity interval training, and I like it a lot. I actually started to do it and it's like super efficient way to achieve almost the same results. So my cardio exercise will last probably around 45 minutes, whether I'm running or I'm swimming with high intensity interval training. Sometimes I can do it like in 15 to 20, 25 minutes with my wow. trainer as well. I kind of like it, but any movement is good. 
So let's just make sure we integrate it in our daily and weekly routine. And like, it's up to you what you know, particular style of exercise uh, you take. It is super important. And then number five is, I call it peace of mind. And it's a combination of sleep, uh, meditation, and socialization and uh, sense of purpose. In book, I call it Think and Grow Young. I'm a huge fan of and of a psychological approach to aging. So if you think you're younger, your body actually works differently. So like my mantra, I'm going to live 200 years in a 25 years old body and mind. And this is what I repeat every morning and every evening. And when I've done this change on the mindset level, my life has changed completely. So imagine I'm waking up every morning and three-fourths of my life is ahead of me. This is amazing. Okay, again, this is a little trick. I mean, it's, it might not work for everyone, but if you just do this experiment for, what, probably two weeks, and so you'll discover a lot of changes in your behavior, you know, level of energy, even uh, in the way your body works. Coming back to more hard stuff, I'm pretty sure you've seen this brilliant uh, book by Matthew Walker, Why We Sleep. And this was my book of the year back in 2019. I actually, after reading this book, I completely changed my approach to sleep. So right now, my rule is eight hours in the bed, seven hours of sleep. And I always measure my, I'm getting my feedback loop on my quality of my sleep through Oring and through Apple Watch as well, trying to maximize deep sleep. And I remember my conversation with the founder of Human Longevity and Performance Optimization Center in London. His name is uh, Jake Cradle. So we met first time and I'm like, Jack, what is the number one advice? Tell me. I mean, if you have one minute, like, what is your advice? And he started with, Sergey. every evening we can visit the most amazing clinic in the world. We go to bed and we sleep. <laughs> and I thought, what an amazing way to underline the importance of sleep. And, and the more you discover that, it's just great. Like when people ask me like what they can change in the next two weeks, I'm always advising them to run on vegetables for some time. So you can be more balanced later on and give your body and mind enough sleep. The transformation that you can do in two or three weeks is really amazing. And so... You also talk a lot about supplements and you mentioned vitamin D, mm -hmm. you mentioned omega-3. If you had to pick a, a handful that you'd kind of recommend to everyone in terms of longevity, what's on the, if you had to pick like three to three to five, like what's on the top yeah. of your list in the addition of the omega-3 and vitamin D? Yeah. So on sergeyyoung.com, I, I, I do have like supplements infographic. But I'm, I'm really happy to share this here. So uh, remember my cholesterol story. So I started with omega-3. And it should be highest quality because supplements are not necessarily regulated. So you need to trust your supplier. It also you needs to be fish bait. Like you don't go plant-based on omega-3. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, But I'm mindful of some of the people who just hate the idea of going outside the vegetarian routine. So I'm mindful of that uh, as well. So it's omega-3 and it should be the maximum intensity of omega-3. So I'm taking two capsules of Solgar 950 and it's actually great. It's actually uh, what, what it does for me. It's almost guaranteed like minus 20% of my cholesterol level. 
against my the usual maximum level. So that's one. Two, D3, sorry, and vitamin D. We all spend our time under the roof. So we're either in the car or not in home or uh, in the office. So there's no opportunity for us to develop the healthy level of vitamin D. So I measure, well, but then might, you might face a problem of taking the overdose of vitamin D. So what I'm doing, like every three months, I'm testing my level of vitamin D. So, I'm, so it should be somewhere in between, between like a minimum and maximum. So I think so ev- everyone could probably take like three to 5,000 IU. Yeah, so I'm taking being... like, this is my personal example. I'm taking seven and a half thousand. Wow. You're really going for it. <laughs> yeah. So that's the uh, second choice. Third, I'm a big fan of seaweeds. Yeah. And well, funny enough, I actually think I, I read somewhere that the fish develop omega-3 just by eating seaweeds, right? It's just one of the sources of, of this for fish. And I'm traveling to Japan a lot and I've seen a lot of examples. So, and, and I do think that the presence of seaweeds, of very different kind of seaweeds. I have six different kinds of seaweeds on rotation within the six months. And then I start again. It's uh, like super interesting. What else? I'm a big fan of garlic. And right now you have garlic supplements, which with, they now constructed with like zero order. So it's, it, it's okay for your social distancing and your social realization. Garlic is uh, super uh, useful and helpful for your heart system, your vessels. That's important as well. Again, my cholesterol story, I'm a big fan of milk thistle. I'm also a big fan of supporting my microbiome. So it's either prebiotics, probiotics, like whatever you can find from the brand that you trust. And I'm also recommending people to do it on rotation and not to stick to kind of one kind of it for six months in a row. What else? I'm actually, we, in the last three or five years, we actually found the new category of supplements, like longevity supplements like Elysium basis, uh, whatever is boost the NAD. I'll never be able to pronounce what NAD stands for. I must say as well as Anaman. So I'm taking Anaman. And this, I, I do think it's a plenty of supply in the market, specifically in the US. And I'm taking, I, I think it's 1000 per day. And the only reason why uh, I'm, I'm speaking to a lot of like longevity pioneers in my life, and it's not only like Dave Asprey, it's uh, very serious scientists. Like David Sinclair, David Sinclair or, sure. Yeah, Eric Verdon, like head of Buck Institute of uh, Aging Research. And majority of them started to take NMN. And some of the people are uh, seeing quite a visible results in terms of their performance and their physical ability and the ability to perform for fitness and kind of sport exercises as well. So I'm doing this as well. I, I, but I, every supplement from the trusted source is good because. For almost every supplement, if you trust uh, that it works for you, a placebo effect is 30 to 40%. Right. Well, I, you hit on a lot of our supplements, so I'll have to get your address and send you some of ours. But I completely agree with trusted source, high quality. And so in closing, my last question to you, what I love about the book is you talk so much about the future in terms of technology in terms of diagnostics and everyone should pick up the book and read it. But I'm curious if you had to pick one thing in the future, 
what are you most excited about to see how it develops? Is it stem cell therapy? Is it diagnostic technology? Like what, what are you so excited for? Okay. Two things. Forgive me for two things. Two Jason. things. So one, gene editing and gene therapy. It's, it's just new fundamental way to redefine ourselves as a humans. And, and people who suffer from rare genetic disease, they're not that rare. There are 400 million people suffering from rare diseases on earth. And I do think that if we will be able to find the science, technology, but also ethics and regulation of proper use of gene editing, we can create completely different humans. Without the aging process, we'll have more happy and healthy years to realize our wildest dream and become a better version of ourselves. And again, take, take back control for, the, for our own health and the health of our planet. So that's one. Two, I'm particularly excited about human brain AI integration. And I do think I'm actually waiting for this for combination uh, with combination of excitement and fear. But if you think about people who suffer uh, uh, from neurodegenerative diseases, this is a big relief. And that's why I'm supporting like Neuralink. And I don't know if you've seen the movie, called, I think it's called The Father with Anthony Hopkins, which is done, which is, you know, the whole movie is done, you know, through the eyes of person who is suffering through dementia. And if we can help these people, it's going to be great because we almost solve the wave of mortality risk, which we face around 55 to 75%, which is more about cancer and heart disease. We now with life extension, we're running in the next barrier which is neurogenerative diseases, somewhere around 80 years, when we become an 80 years old, obviously plus or minus with certain deviations. And we don't know, even what we don't know about neurogenerative disease, how to discover that, when do they start, and what we need to do to fight that. So I do believe that supplementation of human intelligence with artificial intelligence will help us to help these people. Fascinating. Sergey, thank you so much. Thank you, Jason. Stay healthy and happy.